What's up, everybody? This is Sarah, your host of Talk to the Hand Podcast, a podcast about the 90s, everything you love, about the 90s, and more. Hey, everyone. What's up? Hope you're having a good week. Can you believe that we are already in February? Because I can't. But then again, what is time, right? This week, um, Eric and I had a really great 90s flashback week. He bought a few new movie posters that we are now um, looking at up in our apartment. And one of them is Clueless, duh, which is like, you know, one of my favorites. And we also watched a few great other 90s movies this weekend. Uh, We also bought Giga Pets after a few glasses of wine. Was it the dumbest $13 we've ever spent? Probably. But do we regret it? No. No, we don't. He got this like super cute red gigapet that's a T-Rex and I got like this purple, pinky purple one that's a unicorn. So kind of like the best $13 we've ever spent. Um, So today I'm actually all by myself and I wanted to take it in a little bit more serious of a uh, route this week. Um, I had a different episode planned. I think I said that last time, but you know, I think um, it's time we get a little serious. I don't, you know, I don't like all the other serious episodes. I don't want you to think that, you know, it's just going to be doom and gloom the whole episode. Um, It's not, but it is not going to be, you know, like that uh, bright rainbows and unicorns like we talked about Lisa Frank or, you know, any of that. So um, this week I'm talking about Monica Lewinsky and you probably remember Monica Lewinsky. Um, she is a anti-cyberbullying advocate, and um, she was also the um, one of the people involved in the Bill Clinton impeachment and sex scandal uh, back in the '90s, late '90s. And um, you know, she—it's been 23 years since um, Bill Clinton, the second to last president to be impeached, um, uttered the words, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. And 23 years later, that woman is still trying to clear her name. Um, she, you know, I also wanted to make sure before we get into the topic that when I refer to women, I hope you know that I'm referring to femmes, um, people who identify as femme or women, um, because I want to be sensitive to the fact that femmes of every stride face this kind of discrimination as well. I also wanted to give you a content warning. You probably know by now that we will be discussing bullying, um, public humiliation, suicide, depression, PTSD, trauma. Um, Monica is very inspirational, but her story is tough. So stay with me. Me if you can, um, because it's really a great example of how one person is truly using their story and their trauma for good. And I also want to put a caveat there too, that um, you know there are lots of people who have experienced um, trauma and you know this kind of um, gross. Um, I don't know, a violation of her reputation. Um, and there's there's just, there's people that have experienced it. And, you know, if you're a victim of this, it doesn't mean you have to come out and say it right now. Like it, it doesn't, and I just want to put a caveat there. Um, I just think this is one great uh, story of someone who has used that um, and is using their voice and their experience to um, lift others up as well. So, um, okay. Also, before we get into the topic, follow us on social media, TTTH pod on Twitter, talk to the hand pod on Instagram. Um, as always, I will put all of the sources in the show notes. And as I mentioned it before, I even mentioned a few, um, podcasts a while ago. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, if you have a specific, you know, story or topic or memory, um, there's a sign up form on the website under contact and you can submit it there. Of course, we can't promise anything, but you know, we have some great um, people who have reached out 
to us wanting to be on the podcast and uh, with lots of great memories and stories of the 90s. And, you know, we want to hear them all. I, I've told you I'm just one person, one experience of the 90s, and I want to hear everyone's. So please, please do that. Talk to the handpod.com um, or you can email us at talk to the handpod at gmail.com. Okay, let's get to it. So, Monica, let's talk a little bit about Monica, the scandal fallout. Um, Monica Lewinsky grew up in Beverly Hills. She went to Beverly Hills High School. Um, Her dad was a doctor. Her mom was an author. She, um, you know, she had a pretty cushy life um, by all intents and purposes. She when she was out, when she got out of high school and she graduated in high school, she apparently had a five year affair with um, her married former drama teacher. Um, and then she went on to go to Lewis and Clark College in Portland and then graduated with a degree in psychology in 95. Um, from there, she got assistance with a family connection for an unpaid summer internship at the White House uh, with Chief of Staff Leon Panetta. And then she moved up to a paid position in December of 1995 at the White House uh, in the Office of Legislative Affairs. Um, so for you, for those of you not familiar with the story of Monica Lewinsky. Um, I'm just going to give you a little rundown of kind of the timeline here. Um, So according to Wikipedia, Monica had nine sexual encounters with Bill Clinton in the Oval Office between November 1995 and March 1997. Um, She maintains today they were all consensual um, and they did not include sexual intercourse. Um, Bill Clinton has, um, you know, he had allegations of sexual misconduct when he was governor of Arkansas, um, most notably with former state employee Paula Jones, uh, who filed a civil lawsuit against him, alleging that he harassed her. In 1996, um, Monica moved up to the Pentagon because they thought she was spending too much time around Bill. And when she was at the Pentagon, she worked with a woman named Linda Tripp. So she began um, talking to Linda, getting really close with Linda. She started having these phone calls with Linda. And at the same time, she was also kind of getting ghosted by the president. Um, So she was going, she was this 22-year-old intern, just very green, um, very emotional. If you can think about yourself when you were 22 um, and the kind of relationships that you had, you can imagine um, it was a very intense relationship for this young woman. She even says, um, you know, she'll say to this day, you know, everyone's kind of fallen for the wrong person. Um, And it's more likely that you fall for the wrong person at 22, obviously, because you don't have, you know, that world um, experience, but she she says, you know, I just fell for the wrong person and the person I fell for happened to be the president of the United States. So she had this, you know, love affair with Bill Clinton while she was working at the White House. And then they moved her to the Pentagon um, because they were getting a little suspicious. And then the Paula Jones stuff started getting hot. So um, she had to be distanced and it broke her heart. So she started confiding into in Linda Tripp, this woman who was about 20 years older than her. She just would spill her heart out to Linda. If you can think about having a girlfriend that you you talk to just unrestricted and you can be yourself and you can let it all out. They talked about workout routines. They talked about, you know, family and friends. And then they did talk about her relationship with Bill. You know, Linda, she was not a big fan of Bill. She said, 
because she was getting so angry at Bill that she wanted the relationship exposed in the biggest way because it was so cruel. She thought that it was beyond cruel to what he was doing to her. Um, she was worried. Linda was worried that no one cared about this young woman. There were um, when Monica was getting, you know, really, really depressed. She made suicide, um, co suicidal comments, um, felt like her life was meaningless. And Linda Tripp said she kind of had this weird, maybe not maternal, but this resentment about um, towards the president about not looking out for this young woman and just kind of using this young woman. So she began taping. She began taping these conversations that she would have with Monica. And then she eventually gave the tapes to independent counsel Kenneth Starr, who was, um, <clears throat> you know, wrapped it into an ongoing investigation he was doing. So um, it came out, all those, you know, all that information came out um, in light of this investigation. Um, during the same time, Linda was asking Monica about, you know, what kinds of things do you still have? She talked about the blue dress. Linda encouraged her to keep it, to not dry clean it and to keep it as evidence because maybe one day down the road you might need it. So she taped these and she turned these, these tapes in. You know, first Clinton denied having a sexual affair, sexual relations or any kind of relationship with Monica. This is when he did the famous, I did not have sex with that woman um, in the news conference at the White House that broke in late January of 1998. And then after that broke, it instantly caught fire and became the major topic of the day. And Monica went from being, you know, this 22-year-old heartbroken, love-struck woman to this overnight sensation. And um, she began, she spent weeks hiding from the media um, with her mom at, her mom had a place in Watergate. And then her affair with her former high school teacher came out and the teacher turned over love letters that he, that she sent him. And it just came, became this colossal mess for Monica. He was interviewed again and Bill used the present tense, insisting that there is no relationship with Monica. And then eventually Star, Kenneth Star got a hold of the blue dress. And he you know, I don't even think that I introduced the blue dress correctly. So um, in case you weren't familiar with the story, the blue dress uh, was a piece of evidence that was used in the, um, you know, the trial against President Clinton. And uh, it was alleged that he had left a, a little bit of semen on the dress and Monica had not gotten it dry cleaned. So that was used in the investigation as well as, you know, a testimony that uh, Bill had used a cigar as a sex prop with Monica. Bill then finally admitted that he had a relationship that was not appropriate, but denied perjury and said that oral sex was not the same thing as sex as he defined it. Um, and then he also used kind of a bullshit um, excuse saying that the acts were done on him and not by him, um, even though Monica's testimony contradicted that. So she was then called before a grand jury and she was granted immunity in exchange for her testimony. And as we all know, Bill Clinton went on to be impeached in the House and acquitted by the Senate and, um, you know, just kind of a slap on the wrist. And then that scandal really went down in history as the Clinton Lewinsky scandal, the Lewinsky sex scandal. Um, and again, you know, this this act, this whole event was tied to the woman. Um, and, you know, it's named the Lewinsky. We all know the name Lewinsky, Monica Lewinsky. Um, so she was launched into celebrity status. So Let's talk a little bit about what happened after, and then we can talk kind of about what, you know, what that legacy is. Um, so she was launched into celebrity status. Overnight, basically, she became, she became this very um, sensational figure 
in the public eye. It was because she was young and she was definitely, um, you know, owned her sexuality. She was very physically striking. She had very beautiful dark hair, light skin, dark eyes, and just had kind of a very interesting like aura about her in her public appearances. And the other thing that people were really, you know, commenting on in the scandal was the fact that Hillary Clinton stayed with Bill um, after, you know, everything went down. And um, there, there, have been interviews and everything about all the different sides of that story, but I'm not going to get into those right now because I want to focus on Monica. So in 1999, she released a, a autobiography called Monica's Story, and it was, you know, people didn't really ask her for her side of the story when it was going down. She just got instantly labeled, you know, tramp or slut or hussy or, you know, homewrecker. Um, no one really asked her what, what happened. So a year later, she's like, fuck it. I'm going to tell it, you know, I'm going to tell my story. So she released that biography and then she did an interview um, with Barbara Walters in March 1999 on 2020, which was watched by 70 million Americans, which set a new record for a news show. She made half a million bucks from the book and she made a million dollars from the interview, but she still had so many legal bills. Um, that's another thing that they didn't that they don't really talk about. She had so many legal bills and she, you know, she also had this fame, this notoriety that she was not proud of. So people would come up to her asking her for her autograph and she would have to say, like, no, I'm not really like why I'm known for something that's not so great to be known for. But she started to develop a little bit of a sense of humor about everything. In May 1999, she played herself in an episode of SNL. And, you know, she just kind of stayed, she just kind of stayed on course. She didn't really know where she was going. But again, think about it. She's 23, 24 years old. She's very young. So she, you know, we just have to put all of that in context. She does say that she survived this this period by um, knitting, which I thought was really cool. In my 20s, um, I actually experienced a very unexpected and violent loss of a very dear friend, a gun violence. Um, and the way that I coped was by crocheting. So uh, I thought I had that really kind of nice um, connection to Monica, uh, hearing that she kind of survived by knitting. And it's interesting because this knitting and this interest in fabrics and yarns and everything led her to start her own line of handbags. So in that September 1999, she um, started a new company called The Real Monica, where she sold her line of handbags at high-end boutique stores, including Fred Siegel here in LA. Um, she designed them to be kind of hippie-ish, reversible totes. She also picked up a sponsorship or, you know, a she she did a deal, a partnership with Jenny Craig in 2000. Required her to lose 40 pounds in six months for a million dollars. She still had a ton of legal fees, so she did it. And then if you remember... It was actually really controversial. A lot of the private franchi franchises actually just switched to an older campaign. It just wasn't popular. People just had a bad opinion of Monica and the whole situation. And she just represented something that that they felt was a little toxic to their brand. So they stopped her ads um, two months later and then only paid $300,000 of the $1 million contract. She was often accused of trying to capitalize on her notoriety. Um, she couldn't even make herself better without shame, you know? Apparently, she says she... It was 
okay for others to talk about her story, but not okay for her to speak out about her story herself. No matter what she did, she, she no matter what she did, if it was in the public eye, people thought she was trying to capitalize on her notoriety. I mean, she just couldn't, she couldn't win. Um, she actually even turned down offers that earned her more than $10 million because, and this is speaking offers, interview offers, because she thought that wasn't the right thing to do. So she's not even making money. Like she's trying to do the right thing here, trying to be the bigger person, trying to just move the fuck on. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine one of your mistakes or one of your relationships or something you did at 22 years old coming back to haunt you in such a public, public way. It's just, it's unfathomable to me. And my heart really goes out to her, especially at this time. She just, she just couldn't find anyone. In March of 2002, she was no longer bound to the terms of her immunity agreement. And so she did an HBO special called Monica in black and white. She answered studio audience, a studio audience's questions um, about her life. She also started a reality TV dating show called Mr. Person in the early 2000s. Um, It only had one season and never came back. And then in 2004, Bill Clinton actually released an autobiography called My Life. And he basically scraped over the entire Monica situation. She was really kind of hurt by that. She said that he could have made it right in the book, but he didn't and he hasn't. And he's a revisionist. She maintains to this day, everything was mutual on all levels. And she's like, I don't except that he had to completely desecrate my character. So she just really couldn't escape the spotlight, you know? It made everything different, difficult. So she stopped selling her handbags and she just kind of looked around and took stock in what her life, where her life was going. And she just is like, I need to get out. I need to get out. In the early 2000s in December, she moved to London and uh, went to the London School of Economics to get a master's degree in social psychology, which she graduated with in December of 2006. And then after she finished that, she basically avoided publicity for the next decade. She went on a spree trying to find a job in branding, communications, marketing, journalism, anything that was related to the spoken and written word for nonprofits. She really wanted to make the world a better place. She couldn't find a job. Some interviewers mentioned that, um, according to her, they would say, of course, your job would require you to attend our events with this not so subtle subtext that said, you know, these events will have press there. (laughs) And one even said that she was right for the job, but they would need a letter of indemnification from the Clintons because, after all, there is a 25 percent chance that Mrs. Clinton will be the next president. And I'm sorry, this is a grown-ass woman in her 40s needing a permission slip to to get a job that she's definitely qualified for and incredibly equipped, and they would be lucky to have her? Okay, that just really threw me off. I don't know about you. In May 2014, this is kind of the turning point for, for Monica. She emerged. She emerged. She was ready to kind of become that sparkly butterfly that she was meant to be. And by no means is she the sparkly butterfly. I don't think she would call this a sparkly butterfly. I think this is just her rebirth and her, she she was in her cocoon for, you know, all those years, those 10 years after graduating and looking for a job. And in 2014, she wrote an essay for Vanity Fair called Shame and Survival. And in this essay, it's, it's, 
a great essay. I'm going to link it in the show notes. So make sure you check it out. Um, she actually discussed the scandal, the, the scandal maintaining that Clinton um, took advantage of her. It was all mutual, like I've said before, but that she deeply regrets what has happened, what happened, what has happened. Um, she became a regular contributor to Vanity Fair, started getting her name out there, really started, you know, kind of rewriting the story. And if this were a movie, this would be kind of like where she hit bottom and she just starts piece by piece, little by little, picking the pieces up and like reshifting and refocusing. And I think we could all learn a lesson from how she pivoted with such grace and such dignity and such, um, like she's, she's very vocal. She's very opinionated and it's, I'm sure incredibly scary and incredibly risky for her to come out in this public, um, way that she has. So in this particular, um, article, she says, I know I'm not alone when it comes to public humiliation. No one, it seems can escape the unforgiving gaze of the internet where gossip, half truths, and lies take root and fester. We have created, to borrow a term from historian Nicholas Mills, a culture of humiliation that not only encourages and revels in schadenfreude, but also rewards those who humiliate others. From the ranks of the paparazzi to the gossip bloggers, the late night comedians, and the web entrepreneurs who profit from clandestine videos. In March 2015, she came out with her TED Talk. And I'm going to link this in the show notes. Make sure you watch. It's about 22 minutes long and it's great. It's incredible. I remember watching it when it first came out and you, you need to watch it. Just, just from what you remember and what you know about the experiences, um, your experiences, her experience from what you saw in the 90s, it is before you do anything with Monica Lewinsky in terms of reading her stuff or following her, make sure you watch that TED Talk because that was really her um, soliloquy her to herself. You can tell that that was healing for her and it was also a little bit of closure that she realized she couldn't get the closure she wanted from Bill. So she just took – or the media or, you know, the – the general population at large, Linda Tripp, all the people that she felt had wronged her. This was kind of a closing chapter. This was a soliloquy or, you know, um, a poem to herself in addition to something that others could relate to. And hopefully, you know, she could speak to them. Um, so sh this TED Talk, she has a great sense of humor, first of all. Um, she often, it's not self-deprecating in the way that's like kind of just pathetic. It's very self-aware. It's very, um, endearing and self, there's a lot of like self-love and just like, you can tell when she makes jokes about the, the things that she went through when she was 22 years old in the nineties, um, that she does it from a place of love. Like she, if she could go back and hug that, that 22 year old Monica, and then just kind of poke, you know, give her a little, give her a little joke like an older sister would. It, that's kind of how she feels. Um, it, I interpreted her her jokes about her time, and the her TED talk is peppered with these jokes. It's it truly is um, some a, a very warm feeling. And she says, "Not a day goes by that I'm re not reminded of my mistake." You know, like I said earlier, she was 22 and she fell for the wrong person, but her, the wrong person for her, was the president of the United States. She talks about how she lost her reputation and her dignity overnight and was called things like tramp, whore, slut, hussy. She uses the term patient zero when it comes to cyberbullying as we see it today, where mistakes are just put on display to publicly humiliate us. 
the tapes that Linda Tripp recorded scared and mortified her. And I mean, think about it. Like these tapes were released months and months after she actually had these conversations. First of all, who remembers the conversations they have with their girlfriends from even like two months ago? Who remembers exactly what they said? And you add that heartbreak and you add like an illicit affair and you add the fact that it's with the president of the United States who has lied under oath about it. Like that was traumatizing, scary and mortifying to her. She actually uses the word scared and mortified. And listening to it again, she had to relive that trauma and that heartbreak. And on top of it, deal with the garbage of being publicly shamed. She had so much PTSD. And it's so evident and so obvious in the way that she speaks about that time. Again, it's inspiring to watch. But if you're an empathetic person, I will warn you now, it is hard to watch it just because and to experience it. It's something that I think is definitely necessary, but it's hard because you can just really tell that she still carries a lot of that that trauma. She's worked through it. She's gone to lots of therapy. She actually talks about therapy. She's a major proponent. You know, obviously she's a social psychologist. She's made it. She's made it, but she still carries that trauma. I think we can all do that. You know, we can with that trauma we've experienced, like I mentioned, my friend, I have completely moved past the the initial shock and um, and grief, but I still carry that trauma. I still carry that trauma. I still get, you know, panic attacks that started after that. Um, so she also talks about, you know, this concept of stealing words, which is basically gossip in a nutshell. She, she talks not just about stealing words, but she talks about people lumping people in with her that are publicly shamed in a victimized way, um, such as people who are victims of revenge porn or, um, you know, nude photo leaks or things like that. Celebrities who get their nude photos leaked. It's stealing. It's a violation. And, you know, she it's no matter what that violation looks like in terms of context or circumstances, it feels and it hits the same way. And she actually mentioned that humiliation is felt as a cognitive, you know, occurrence is felt even stronger than anger. Humiliation is felt stronger than anger. Think about that. Think about the times you've been humiliated and how that, how much that sucks. So she actually was a big speaker, a big fixture in the Me Too movement. Um, she used the Me Too uh, hashtag when she was looking back at her relationship with Bill because he was 27 years older than her and in a position of a lot more power. You know, she says, sure, my boss took advantage of me. I will always remain firm on this point. It was consensual relationship, but any abuse came in the aftermath when she was made the scapegoat in order to protect his powerful position. Um, and also that he was, um, you know, clearly he was abusing his power. He was 27 years older than a 22-year-old intern. Um, she also mentions that she never got any support from the feminist camp because she thinks it was because back in the 90s, Bill Clinton was kind of seen as a president that was friendly to women's causes. Um, and also, she said that there are some people that um, say it, her story doesn't even belong in the Me Too movement because it wasn't conventional sexual harassment or assault, um, which I don't agree with at all. Who was on trial here? Who was on trial? It was Bill. He had the power. Um, so she still deals with this today. 
You know, she still deals with this garbage today. In May 2018, she was actually disinvited from an event hosted by Town & Country when Bill accepted an invitation to the event. So she's kicked off of the guest list if Bill's going to be there. Like, that's just, I'm sorry. Like, she is still dealing with that today. So I also read an article about her that she ran into Ken Starr, um, who she never actually met in person when the scandal was going on. Um, she was, it was years later, a couple years ago, she was with her family and she recounts that she still had some animosity toward him. He was hellbent on using a scared young woman to take down the president and he threatened her family if she didn't cooperate. So she still, she still holds on to a lot of trauma. But you know, I think, like I've said a few times in this episode, um, the important thing is that she truly is harnessing that energy for but for good and for a better future for others. So let's talk a little bit about her legacy now and the legacy of what happened to her in 1998 and how that kind of resonates today. There's a very steep price to public humiliation, and that's even more jacked right now because of the online community. She mentions that the victims of this kind of you know public shaming are often women, people of color, LGBT, um, and that their shame and humiliation is mined, packaged, and sold to the highest bidder. So that more shame leads to more clicks and more money. And I was thinking about this. Does this still hold true today? You know, this was almost six years ago. She had this TED talk where she she talks about this public humiliation and cyberbullying. And I think the, the public humiliation thing has changed. And please, 90s kids, let me know if you agree, disagree with me. Um, read the articles, do your own um, research and come up with your own opinions. But please let me know. I think it's changed. I think we've gotten a lot more compassionate for the victims. We have a long way to go. I mean, We've made a few steps, but we have a long, 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 long way to go. And um, laws have gotten tougher in terms of things like revenge porn. And there's also a general consensus now, I think, that um, this kind of behavior, especially um, that's so detrimental to women, is not okay. And we're now in the Me Too and Time's Up era. And um, I do think that there's still an element in play today that, you know, the threshold for what we think is deserving of public humiliation, I think has changed. It's been pushed back. It's morphed. It's now what we call cancel culture. But this public shaming at the same intensity has a little bit of a different context. Monica and victims of things, like I said, nude photo leaks and revenge porn are victims. Um, and then we talk about in the Me Too era how actors and comedians and executives who are truly predatory are publicly shamed. And of course, there's discussion about cancel culture. Um, so I think, you know, this has pushed, this has pushed that threshold back. It's changed what, what needs to, you know, the criteria that needs to be fit and filled before someone is publicly shamed and canceled. But I think the it happens to different people and within different contexts and circumstances. Obviously, like I said, they were victims. And then a lot of these actors and, you know, executives and comedians are um, shamed for, you know, actually being truly predatory. Um, the, that's the difference now. I'm not one for cancel culture across the board. I think we need to hold people accountable um, and also give them a chance to prove that they've evolved if they have. Um, and we'll know. We're, you know, we we see through bullshit. We know. We know if they've evolved or not. And obviously, if we can, um, you know, if they can be redeemed past, you know, a shitty old tweet they did, we just, we, we just need to constantly um, be aware of what public shame and public humiliation um, does for people and what we qualify as deserving of that and how we respond to it 
in the media and within like the broader culture. And I think that's what Monica Lewinsky, what her presence has been um, and the Me Too era has been in these last few years. I think Monica you know, her stance has been to kind of highlight that. I think she wouldn't want you to automatically feel sorry for her. I think she would want you to understand why and how she was victimized before you felt sorry for her. And I think that's where her power is now. And I think that's the thing that I really resonate with the most. I wanted to also mention here that when it comes to cyberbullying and harassing people online or harassing people in general, we've heard a lot recently about the First Amendment and freedom of expression. And um, there's a responsibility that comes with freedom of expression. And that's one thing that Monica likes to touch on. And I think that's one thing that we really need to heed right now. There's a there's responsibility that comes with freedom of expression. Luckily, the 45th president, I we don't say his name in this house, was permanently blocked from social media. Current members of Congress who adhere to insane conspiracy theories, you know, far right conspiracy theories, um, cry foul that their freedom of speech is, is infringed upon. But they don't realize that your words have power and you have consequences for what you say. There are Also things that freedom of expression just doesn't cover, like shouting fire in a movie theater. Um, So anyway, Monica reminds us that your speech and your expression are still prone to action and reaction. And she talks about the one way to combat this, she says, is to have compassion and empathy. She recommends we click with compassion, we consume with compassion. And directly quoting her, she says, imagine walking a mile in someone else's headline. So, so that's her legacy right now. That's Monica Lewinsky. I think there's two Monicas. There's 2021 Monica, who I just, you know, th- that's who I'm talking about right now. That's what she reminds us of. That's what she makes us think about and consider and talk about. Um, there's also a, another Monica. And let's talk about the 22-year-old Monica from 1998. So what is her What's her lasting legacy today? Like, how do we relate to that Monica today? She's showed up on TV and radio shows, newspapers, magazines, internet, SNL, Sunday morning opinion programs, dinner party conversation, water cooler discussions, late night monologues and political talk shows. In the Washington Post, there were 125 articles written about her in the first 10 days of this of this event. Many parents felt pressured and compelled to discuss sexual issues with their children younger or earlier than they might have wanted to. They also had to explain why lying, even if the president did it, wasn't acceptable behavior. And then it was also um, around this time in the late 90s where we had MSNBC and Fox News kind of split off and lines began to blur between fact and opinion and news and gossip and private lives and public shaming. And this has only gotten worse this has only gotten worse. Worse. That's one legacy of the 1998 scandal that I think we really see today is that there really is on these, especially on Fox News, my God, there is no difference between fact and opinion and news and gossip. And that a lot of people kind of point to the Bill Clinton sex scandal as the cause and the, you know, part of one of the big catalysts to this division. The Boston Globe says to many Americans, Monica will always be Monica, someone whose narrative they helped write. Um, I think now, though, people are starting to recognize her as this patient zero type that she has used so much. And, you know, 
there's her experience since she's come out um, with her experiences. So many others have been able to find her experience relatable and admire her willingness to speak out about it. The Me Too movement, I think also um, in her role and in people being able to relate to her experience as a 22 year old in 1998 has also given women kind of a support network that so they knew they weren't alone um, because that feeling of loneliness is arguably one of the most traumatic things about that intense pain um, and that there is safety and solidarity. And she calls this, you know, collective rise in the decibel level that has provided a resonance for women's narratives, which I love. I She also says that I think... Now, now in 2021, looking back at the scandal in 1998, we're now just beginning to consider the implications of the power differentials that were so vast between a president and a White House intern. I mean, I don't think any of us could wrap our heads around that fact back in the 90s, but I think that's something that's very present, very prevalent today. Um, We're all beginning to entertain the notion of that this in such a circumstance of a president and a White House intern, that consent might well be rendered moot. Although there are power imbalances, the ability to abuse them even exists when sex has been consensual. So I think that's important to note as well. There have been 40 rap songs written about her. Her name has been turned into a verb. Um, we really did her wrong. And, you know, when she came out as a as an activist, people didn't really take her seriously until they saw that TED talk. Um, she's never asked us to forgive her because this isn't the Monica Lewinsky apology tour. She's already apologized so many times and acknowledges her regrets. Bill Clinton um, apologized, but not directly to Monica. Um, but he did say, in the new Hulu documentary that came out last year called Hillary that he felt terribly about the fact that her life was defined by it unfairly. Um, Hillary, I think we also need to talk about that Hillary was also defined by the event. She was faulted for demonizing another woman and enabling her husband who had been accused of seducing, harassing, and even raping women over the years. And I mean, Hillary just couldn't win. No one could win. The women could not win in that scenario. And I think, you know, out of all of them, the women were, if they were all affected differently. If you think about Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, and you think, let's even talk about Chelsea. I mean, what that had to do for her as a young woman, seeing her parents go through this. There's so many women who were, their experience were just rendered completely, they're just muted, very muted. Um, and they're coming to to light now. And I think that's really, um, that's really something that we're starting to see. And we're also starting to take that scandal in the 90s, uh, look at it in a much different way in terms of power dynamics. You know, it's interesting, Gloria Steinem had a lot of high praise for Monica in, high, in hindsight. Um, she said that what how she endured her unfair treatment back in the 90s is incredible to me. She has emerged smart, and wise and kind and sane. And I completely 100% agree with this. Monica is holding out for a new narrative of resilience, telling other bullying survivors that they can insist on a different ending to their stories. Only we get to tell our stories. Only you get to come out and say, hey, this is who I am. So I just wanted to kind of end this on a quote from one of her essays she wrote for Vanity Fair. Until recently, thank you, Harvey Weinstein, historians hadn't really had the perspective to fully process and acknowledge that year of shame and spectacle. 
1998. As a culture, we still haven't properly examined it, reframed it, integrated it, and transformed it. My hope, given the two decades that have passed, is that we are now at a stage where we can untangle the complexities and context, maybe even with a little compassion, which might help lead us to an eventual healing and a systemic transformation. And on that note, we're going to leave it there. Let me know. Let me know what you think about this issue. Let me know what you think about Monica Lewinsky now in 2021, um, about you know how she handled everything that happened in 1998. Um, let me know what you think, what you remember going through it in the 90s. How old were you? Were you a kid? Were you an adult? Did you have to explain to your kids what was going on? I want to hear from you. For me, I was only 11 years old. I remember it vividly in the news, but only really on a surface level. Um, I only really reacted to it the way my culture reacted to it. So it wasn't, again, very sympathetic to women. Um, but I want to hear, like I said, I want to hear to you. Um, I want to hear what you think about Monica's story and what it means to you. I was bullied a lot as a kid. Um, I've been humiliated and cheated on publicly. And, you know, people have judged me and my choices without knowing the whole story. So I really resonate with Monica and I really find hope and strength in her presence. Um, and I truly find her smart and wise. So Monica Lewinsky, girlfriend, if you're ever in LA and you're feeling like meeting a fan who will just praise the hell out of you for who you are right this second, give me a call. I'll have a drink. So with that said, thank you so much for listening. Um, please let us know. Like I said, keep in touch. Follow us on social media. You can follow us at TTTHpod on Twitter. Talk to the Hand Pod on Instagram. You can go to our website at talktothehandpod.com or you can send us an email, talktothehandpod at gmail.com. Next week, I have a really fun Valentine's Day episode with my best friends. So make sure you tune into that. If you remember getting best friends bracelets with your girlfriends in the 90s, you will certainly love our Valentine's Day episode. So stay tuned for that. And until then, please remember, be safe, wear a mask, socially distance, be a good human, and please, please, please be excellent to each other. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week.